Slum, slum, gullion, slum, gullion, we've got season two of the slum, gullion, Jeff and Scott still host the slum, gullion, I still don't know what that word means. It is 2020, ooh, and it is time for more Slum Gullion, America's only podcast. Greetings and salutations, friends. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. Scott, how's 2020, ooh, faring for you so far? 2020, ooh? Well, so far it's pretty oofful. I like that. I, I no, no, I don't. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just realized, you know, I mean, we didn't really do a Christmas Star Wars. We haven't done anything since the um, year started. We figured we should get together and let everybody know that, yes, we are still alive. Me, more surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I, th- I think when I eventually die, people are just going to go, well, yeah, that, that tracks. Um, <laughs> I just want to say real quickly, thanks to everyone for the kind remarks about... Our uh, not-at-all-Christmas-related Christmas gift to you, the 1961 Miseducation short and masterpiece of gay panic, Boys Beware, that we riffed on YouTube. And if by any chance you haven't seen it yet, just go to our website, theslumgullion.com, where you'll find the link just below the post for this episode. Watch it, and let the Inglewood Police Department teach you how to recognize the homosexual in the wild. It was a lot of fun to do. I'm glad that everyone enjoyed it. We'll probably do something else similar in the near future. And if you have suggestions, let us hear about it. Drop it in the comments for this post on our website or hit us up on Twitter. Jeff is at the Slumgullion. I am at Scott Clevenger. And we will check it out and see if we can make your dreams come true. Because that's a fun thing with shorts. Yes, Riff Tracks has done a shit ton of them, but there are a shit ton more. I'm always amazed when I go to the Prelinger archive at archive.org and just hunt around. There's an astonishing number that have not been riffed yet, despite 30 years of riffing culture. It still amazes me that nobody that nobody has done a gift for Santa. A gift for Santa? Or a trap, a trap for Santa, excuse oh, me. Well, I wondered about that too. I think it's probably because people don't riff a lot of silence. I don't know why. It's that is actually true. That it's, is true. It's easier because you don't have to worry about working around the dialogue. On the other hand, it might seem like, eh, you know, shotgun, barrel of fish. Silence are an artifact of a time and a place and a culture and a technology that doesn't exist anymore. So everything about it looks painfully quaint and ripe for mockery. But um, as much as A Trap for Santa was made by the distinguished pioneer of motion picture art, D.W. Griffith, it was downright stupid. (laughs) And when you were making me watch it... I was, I, you know, I was trying to react, but in the back of my mind, it's like going, how can I get him back for this? <laughs> I understand and deservedly so, and I'm waiting for it. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll never know when it's coming, but it's coming. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. And I accept that I do because I knew when I discovered it, that it was going to cause you pain. I was almost thinking about doing the same thing to Orson Welles' silent Too Much Johnson. Oh, God. But I just thought, well, one, it's kind of long. Two, it's Orson Welles. But on the other hand, it's, again, goofy as fuck. It really deserves its own commentary track. And since Welles is dead, you know, I think the least we can do is piss on his grave. I mean, is, uh, you know, step up there for him. 
I like I like your first description better, and who knows? Maybe maybe we should. <clears throat> we still have to do a commentary track for Chupa. Oh God! Have you oh, seen it yet? Yeah. Have you seen Chupa yet? Did you get it? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. <clears throat> okay, well, get, give us a little eyewitness report here because. Uh, you know, I haven't had the pleasure, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a 90s shot on video horror film. That's ah, you need to know. It lives up to every bit of that premise, huh? Oh, oh, yes, it does. And and you can definitely tell that it was that it stars theater people. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I do have to admit, I had a very weird... Now, granted, I'm, I am not in the film a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they only had me in full makeup for one night. So, I mean, that tells y'all right there. And yet I you are the title of... character. Yes. Yes. But no, there there is a lot more to the film than than just me killing theater people. There is some early conspiracy theory stuff. No. There is um, <laughs> an old friend of mine having a very embarrassing sex scene. Oh, really? Okay. Well, his mom, who was also in the film, was there when he shot the sex scene. Okay, that should be illegal. If animals can have the ASPCA on set to ensure their welfare, there's got to be some sort of NGO or even government agency that can take control on a, on a movie set and make sure nobody has to flash their butt in front of their mommy. But I, I, I have to admit, I have to admit, as as I was, no, I did not, I have not gotten the, the, the Blu-ray or DVD, so I did not see the special features. I have not seen me cuss out the makeup man. I just watched the movie. Mm-hmm. and But it did give me massive flashbacks. I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of the people in the film and doing theater with the people in the film. And of course, I had an instant flashback to the shower from hell trying to get off all that makeup. Yeah. I mean, people say, what's the scariest shower scene? Some people say psycho. Some people, because of the implications, say Silkwood. <laughs> but my, kill. Right. But my the most horrifying one I've ever seen or experienced was your description of the two hours in the shower trying to <laughs> scruff all the makeup out of try to try to disentangle it from your hair but I, I i still think i'm i'm still seriously considering doing my own commentary track and i'm um, going to the website that uh that like distributes things here put this on the website for free i don't care absolutely and if not we'll put it on ours exactly because i do i do want to talk over this thing because like i said there are there are some stories that 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 i could tell both about the cast and what i do remember of the production i do have to say as um there were certain scenes that i was like oh okay i remember shooting that that's right there's this great scene where i i hop on somebody to attack them Mm -hmm. and it was a great phenomenal moment until i except for the fact that i accidentally need him really 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 hard in the balls <laughs> okay so that's a terrible moment for that actor yeah. until that ten thousand dollar check from america's funniest home videos come in <laughs> yeah because the kick in the balls is was always the episode winner that that is true and i'm actually pretty sure that he got paid for the film so that's a good thing as well so he got paid for damages oh nice <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure i'm the only person who didn't get paid but i'm not sure but I'm pretty sure. Hey, it is what it is. Like I said, I never thought the film was ever going to see the light of existence. So, well, this is bizarre that it was it was shot on video in the '90s, and it is only just now getting distribution. But I guess you know we have platforms where they really don't care, and you can pretty much put anything up. I, I figure I could probably put our home movies up on Amazon, and they charge they charge two ninety nine to rent it for 
Oh, probably, probably. But no, it, it's 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 like I said. I have to admit, I, I agree with the one review that I read. It's not bad. Oh, really? Okay. It's not great by any way, shape, or form, but it actually could be. I have seen a lot worse. Well, you've probably seen more shot on video horror movies from the 90s than the average bear. Well, I mean, not even that. I mean, it, let, 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 let's see how to put it. I, I would say Chupa is much better than anything by Jerry Buchanan, or Jerry, excuse me, Larry Buchanan, or Jerry Warren. Let's put them both together here. <laughs> I don't know if it's as good as the Wild World of Batwoman, but I think so. Mm. Well, you're you're setting the bar exceptionally low, so that is that is that is very very true. Uh, before we get into what we have been watching, um, I don't know if I have actually discussed this on the show or not, but um, as most of you folks know, whether you're following me on Twitter or not, the last two years have been absolutely batshit insane for me, and um, even more so now. Still waiting on um, disability. I'm still waiting on lots of things. I'm in this big waiting pattern. I'm still not in a homeless shelter yet, thankfully, but um, how I have been coping with this, because I don't think I've talked about this in here, is I'm writing a radio series. Yes, you are. Yes, for the for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, I am writing um, seven episodes of an eight-episode series called Rockridge. It is, for lack of a better word, my version of Dark Shadows, and it's meant to be like an old-school radio series. Eight episodes. Mr. Clevenger is writing an episode as well. That is why I'm only writing seven of them, and I'm trying to get all of them written before I decide where to do with it next, because I have absolutely no idea how to do things once I get this done. But this is a story that I have had in my head for decades. These characters have been swimming around, and it took near death and absolute eviction for me to finally decide, yeah, I think I finally need to start writing these guys. It has been keeping me sane, which is a good thing. And I, I have said this on Twitter, but I have written more since I lost the apartment almost a year ago than I've written in most of my life. Wow. It's scary how how well this thing is is coming together. Like I said, it, it concerns predominantly vampires, but it's going to bounce all over the place if things go well, especially if you know Dark Shadows. Yes, there could be time travel. Yes, there could be parallel dimensions. There could be freak and everything, but there is no Barnabas Collins. Uh. Yeah, but I like Malachi. Oh, I like all the That's characters the so thing. far. Malachi, Malachi is definitely my, my Barnabas Collins. The only problem is going to be finding the right... Oh, that's going to be the toughest casting that puppy. Both either audibly or... Although, I don't know. Audibly, I can always get, you know... I'm Malachi... I, I, this I can share. Malachi is the first vampire and is in the body of... In my head, originally, it was between an 8- to 12-year-old boy. But now I'm thinking between 12 and 16. Yeah, that gives you a little more option especially for for acting. I was a little bit worried about a young person being able to handle this type of acting, but then I saw this past season of American Horror Story, and they had a young um, a female actress on the show that was the most brilliant, scary performance I've seen from a child since Miko Hughes in Pet Cemetery. Mm. Well, of course, since it's an audio drama, you don't actually have... Well, drama. <laughs> I'm not even sure... 
I'm not sure how you would describe it because a lot of it's very funny, but it is a lot of it's very gross and scary too. So it's it's its own thing, definitely. It's it's very it's it is it's a very 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 much its own thing. But you could um, you could go the way that uh, production companies that imported Japanese cartoons in the '60s did, or Japanese live action films, and have all the children, especially the little boys, played by forty year old women. <laughs> Hey, it, it works for uh, the Fairly Odd Parents. That's true. I was going to say Timmy Turner's a woman, so but eventually, like, if, if anything happens with this, and I'm able to take it into the multimedia, because it's not just audio. Oh no, 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 no! This is an IP that, in my original head, was a multimedia extravaganza. And my original plan, I was going to take, and mind you, this was pre this was pre streaming. I wanted to do two 13 episode TV series, a trilogy of movies, a trilogy of novels, and a 12 issue comic book series. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be harsh, but the problem with you, be harsh. The problem with you has always been you just lack ambition. <laughs> I know. I didn't say I didn't want to write all of them. I'm just saying that's what everything that needed to tell the entire story. Ah, well, you remember when Ron Howard was going to make uh, what was it? The Two Towers, the Black Tower. What it was that Stephen King gunslinger? The Dark Tower. The Dark Tower. He was going to make a uh, three movies. Then it was going to be. A movie and episode of a TV series and fill in everything else, then back to a movie. And then it just wound up being one really incredibly short, really crappy movie. Um, but apparently they're trying it. They're going to be trying again. I have heard tell that there is going to be a Dark and a Dark Tower TV show coming up. See, this is there's certain projects, and I don't know what it is, that inspire this lunatic confidence despite a history of failure. I'm looking at Dune right now, and it's like, how many adaptations? I mean, we almost got two adaptations of it in the 70s. True. Yep. One by David Lean and Robert Bolt of Lawrence <laughs> of Arabian Dr. Zhivago fame. That would have been interesting. We had had the one in 84. Then there was a TV series. And we just got another movie. They're just, they won't give up on certain things. They will not die. And I'm interested in that. I am vulnerable to charges of hypocrisy because I've I've supported the last two Kickstarters for Mystery Science Theater 3000 when they tried to bring that back. But that was a show that was beloved and had a history of success. And bringing it back was not quite that risky. It's not like remaking something that was famously fucked up more than once. So I think that's just a baffling sign of our times and i don't know what's behind it why people just don't say, okay let that go i mean i i think part of it with um the current dune is people say oh finally the technology exists to do frank herbert's imagination justice so you can finally see the ornithopters and the 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 sandworms look less like mr snuffleupagus wearing you know dime store vampire teeth it's I, I, I get why people are excited for it, and I get why they were saying, you have to watch it on the big screen. The biggest screen you possibly... IMAX minimum, if not projected on the moon. I understand that. That was the selling point for it. But it's a very dense story that it, it bores people while they read it. I've known so many people who tried to read that book. People who are well-read, extraordinarily literate, ravenous consumers of the printed word and they just couldn't get through it so that doesn't seem like something Three that times yeah Three oh yeah that's times. right that's right you're one of them it just doesn't seem like something that's going to leap off the page and onto the screen like i said i mean i liked the eternals more than i liked to do and i didn't even like the eternals that much you know i like the eternals more on a second viewing i don't know what well i do partly know why it's because i wasn't sitting in a theater by myself 
And granted, I saw it with the new movie crew, Mary, John, and Blanche in Hawaii. That might possibly okay. have uh, have influenced my mood. But I did find more about it that some of the things I objected to seemed nitpicky in retrospect. But I agree with you. Even when I had reservations after seeing it the first time, I still found it a more fulfilling experience than I did Dune. And not, simply, yes. be- and not simply because Dune just cuts off. That was annoying, but I was sort of expecting that. And the Eternals had a, had a sort of an open ending, too, because a, a, every Marvel movie has to lead into the next Marvel movie. I was going to say, I have to admit, when I got to the end of the Eternals, I was kind of like, really? <laughs> really? That's how? Okay, fine. And then yeah. they put in the, the Eternals will return. I'm like, well, good, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I had a second viewing as well. I watched it on Disney Plus recently. Mm, okay. And again, I, it's, it's one of those films that I'm like, all right, I like what you're attempting. I just don't think you did it right. <laughs> okay. It's the only way I can describe it. I like some of the characters. I like the, the, the ideas that they were going for. I was like, this just didn't – it just doesn't work for me. But I still liked it better than Dune. I don't know what people are responding to in Dune, frankly. I was just... I mean, granted, it could be Oscar Isaac, because Oscar Isaac is awesome in everything that he does, and I just want to throw it out there right now, holy fuck, that Moon Knight trailer. Oh, I cannot wait for that show. This looks very, very interesting. Have you seen that trailer? I have, and it's going to sort of be like the United States of Terra, but with more killing. And what I love is some people are bitching about um, his English accent. And I'm like, you know, that's just one of his personalities, right? Right. None of them are real people. That's not his real accent that he's using. It's a person. I mean, it is, but it's for a personality. It's going to be that bad. Right. So one of Moon Knight's alternate personalities is Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. Yes, exactly. It's brave. It's a brave choice. I believe that's the cab driver. Jake Luckley. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I know absolutely nothing about Moon Knight except that he appeared in except that he was in a Werewolf by Night comic, mm-hmm. and the only reason I know that is I read Werewolf by Night at the time, but um, I know very little about the character. Um, so I am I'm going into this entirely because the trailer looked awesome, and I like Oscar Isaac, and I'm glad that Disney's going okay. We fucked you over on Star Wars. Let's give you something fun to play with. They did kind of fuck him over on Star Wars, didn't they? Well, everyone actually, except for. Uh... Daisy Ridley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, everybody, everybody got kind of screwed. I mean, it's like Disney needs to give Gwendolyn Christie majorly something big. You know what? She she had kind of a, oh, you little bitch death like Boba Fett had in uh, Return of the Jedi. And speaking of which, what a beautiful little uh, segue there. <laughs> Since we um, did not have our Christmas Star Wars discussion, we can have our January Star Wars discussion because Disney has um, churned out the latest series from, I believe, uh, Robert Rodriguez is the showrunner for it. Mm-hmm. And it is The Book of Boba Fett. Now we have, I believe, four episodes now out of the seven. Um, You have not seen the newest one, correct? No, it dropped today, and we tend to watch those during dinner. Okay, yes, yes. I I am currently caught up. I do want to know, what do you think of the show so far? Well, I'm at a bit of a handicap because I never understood the Boba Fett love. I always thought... Same way, yep. It's like you, you go to see, I don't know, Julius Caesar by Shakespeare and then you walk out of it raving about this one performance and nobody knows what you're talking about and they go oh you mean Caesar 
no, Mark Anthony. And it turns out you were watching this one spear carrier in the background the whole time. That Boba Fett was a fucking spear carrier in the Star Wars saga. And he had what George Lucas's idea of a, of a funny death. George Lucas's idea of what's funny is some of the scariest shit in the world. But uh, look at the look at the Phantom Menace. That's all you got to say. Exactly. But all I kept thinking when it first scene where you're where he's in the Sarlacc trying to climb out of it and you just see this thing writhing around him and he's just all gooey and covered with slime. And it's like, wow, it's true. George Lucas is into butt stuff. Because that Sarlacc thing, man. Never was there a less subtle metaphor. You have now ruined my opinion of that opening scene. It's just where my mind went. It doesn't mean yours has to follow it down into the gutter. It's fine. Oh, no, it's there now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's there now. But anyway, we, we, can, we can both agree. We, neither of us were part of the cult of Boba Fett. I remember when Empire Strikes Back came out, everybody was talking about what a great character he was. I'm like, he's in the film for like five minutes. Who cares? Yeah, he's got like eight lines, if that. It was bizarre. They kind of went opposite ways with their two Mandalorian characters now in these series. Because on the one hand... Boba Fett in the original trilogy was a man of few words, never took his helmet off. You knew next to nothing about him. And that's kind of where it, it started with Din Djarin. He never took his helmet off, didn't talk unless he had to. And Boba, on the other hand, goes naked faced all over the place and won't shut the hell up. So that's growth, I guess. That's that's character growth. I do like that they brought back Timur Morrison. I am very excited about the rumors that he might be playing Captain Rex in the Ahsoka series, because I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, that would, okay, that would be awesome, yes. <clears throat> and uh, it would be kind of cool to see Rex in live action. Oh, absolutely. They have already said that, that canonically fought at Endor, so. Oh, yep, I do, yeah. There's a guy in the film that looks like Rex, and, and then, then they, they, just... they backtracked and said, yeah, that is him, actually. That is a perfect example of just placating the fans when it costs you nothing. Like, oh, absolutely. It's like, you know, half the time they, they're demanding this, that, or the other thing, and they have to tap dance around it because they just don't want to do that. And this is like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You, you guys can have that one for free. That's canon. Stamped. There you go. So it's nice It's nice to see him. I think he's doing a, a good job. I love Ming-Na Wen. She's the homegrown Michelle Yeoh, in my opinion. I was a, Thank you. I was, I was trying to figure out the way to say that, and you said it perfectly. Well said. So I'm down for anything with those two. I'm actually sorry that they killed off the Tusken Raiders so quickly and abruptly and grisomely. I, I mean, I, I guess I sort of knew it was coming because of where we meet him in The Mandalorian. He clearly does not have a tribe behind him. And I guess it was just those sequences were there to explain where he was all those years and how he might have changed, what might have changed him, and what turned him from that that taciturn, all about the Benjamins type who just hung around there in the background cradling his gun while the Imperial officers talked smack about him. He was in the original trilogy into a character with some dimension who's worth watching over the course of seven, eight episodes. So I, I, I get all that. I hated it, though, because, I mean, they, they really leaned into the redeeming the indigenous characters who have previously been depicted as just savages. That scene, that one scene after he got his, you know, he got the wood from his gaffy stick and they had the little dance around the campfire. Mm -hmm. I fucking love that. I did, too. That one scene, I'm like, this, th I want more of this in Star Wars. That was freaking amazing. Yeah, I mean, the most interesting things t to me in Star Wars, and, and oftentimes it's, it's just implied in the background or by the mise-en-scene 
And a lot of it comes out in the comic books and the novels, but the alien cultures, because mm -hmm. because the default culture is basically, you know, people from Modesto. <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's the default. Planet, Planet Anaheim. Exactly. So say what you want about Mark Hamill, as long as it's flattering, because I love Mark Hamill. But he does not look like an exotic creature from another galaxy. He frankly looks more like a guy who's working the summer between high school and junior college at a pup and taco so he can afford to buy an 8-track tape player for the stereo and his Dodge Charger. Yes. So I don't look for that in George Lucas because uh, while his writing has some things to recommend it, something to recommend it, I'm sure, if I had time to think about it, he does not seem to to lean toward cultural anthropology as an interest. So I liked that element of the show, and I missed that element was gone. Now it's just this sort of godfather-like crime families maneuvering and backbiting and all that. It's like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. It's It's entertaining. It's well done. It's just peculiar to me. I guess it's not peculiar. Actually, it is It is stunningly obvious why they went with it, because they are hedging their bets all around the table by setting their shows in familiar settings like Tatooine, which I, I never need to go to Tatooine again, not and characters that have pre-existing fan bases. I mean, I thought we were past that with The Mandalorian, because the best thing about that was when the show started, he came from a culture that was established, but not extraordinarily well-known, especially if you didn't follow the animated series. And it was a guy who was brand new to the franchise and somebody who was so unconnected to the original films that he doesn't even know what a Jedi is, which seemed kind of like, really? How how far out in the sticks do you live, dude, that you never even heard but it's it's fine. It was actually enjoyable. Okay, good. We're not gonna we're not gonna have to deal with that stuff that we've seen a thousand times before. But I don't wanna I don't wanna complain too much about the show because I like the fact it's very grounded, that it's not a lot of, you know, space woo woo and magic and it's 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 not a lot of mystical crap. It's just guys shooting each other for claim to a turf. My biggest problem and I hate saying it, but it does boil down to, you know, what we were saying earlier about not being part of the cult of Boba Fett is I don't care. I just don't care. I mean, it's I, I, I again, I like Ming-Na Wen. Mm -hmm. You know, Fennec Shan is kind of the reason why I'm sticking with the show. But I've been watching it. And I'm like, OK, yay. Oh, look, there's Cammy and Fixer from from the cutscene from A New Hope. That's a nice little uh, Easter egg. Ha ha ha. Cool. Okay, he's in the Sarlacc. He's escaping from the Sarlacc. So Patton Oswalt's thing, that's now officially canon. Yeah, ha ha ha. Ooh, he's a crime lord. Yeah, I just, I don't care. I understand. I want to. I feel like I should because I feel like I'm a bad Star Wars fan because I don't care about the most popular character. But it's just, it's tough for me to watch this show. Mm. Especially, and especially like the, I, my favorite parts in the first couple episodes was the Sand People stuff. I love the Tusken Raider shit. And then, well, as you said, <laughs> yeah. it was just, it was that, just, it means to him. That's now. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes I, I, I feel offended on behalf of characters who are there enlivening the narrative, giving it depth, showing you parts of a world that we've never really witnessed, certainly not in detail before. And I feel bad when those people discover, oh, I was just here for his character development. Nobody gives a crap about me or my people. Oh, 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 and we're just, oh, so now we're just a pile of bodies. Well, isn't that typical? 
I, uh, I, I think they have a legitimate beef there. In fact, if most of the show took place during the years that he was living with the, the Sand People, and then only toward the end, you know, do we catch up to him taking over Jabba's, I would have been fine with that. But here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. I absolutely agree with you. I, I did not care going in because I didn't care about Boba Fett. But it was written by John Favreau, and I really liked a lot of what he did in The Mandalorian. I was absolutely willing to give it a, a chance. Here's how I feel. It's the show's job to make me care. I didn't arrive excited about seeing where Boba's life has taken him because I don't care about Boba. But you have the chance, Disney Plus, to make me care about Boba. This version of Boba is very different. In some ways, he is unrecognizable from what he was, from the, what the character was in the original trilogy. You know, he's this heavyset dude in his 50s, bald, wrinkled, grumpy, wandering around the desert. Where we live, there's a ton of people like that. But most of them, they don't try to take over an interplanetary mafia. They just go golf. When he got that wooden bent stick, I thought, you know, just go out to the course. Hit a, hit a few balls around, Boba. You'll feel better. I mean, it's, yeah, it's sad. It's like most of the time in the first couple of episodes, I'm like, I don't want to see him wake up from the back of tank. Let's just let's just keep this episode being entirely in the past with him dealing with the Tusken Raiders. That would be awesome. My favorite part of the series so far is when the uh, medical droid says, you are completely healed. And I thought, yes, you don't have to see him in those tight trunks anymore. He's not going to be going around in his underwear. Yay. No offense to Tamora Morrison. I just, I, I don't enjoy that just generally. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like walking down on people when they're in the bathtub. <laughs> Understood. Understood. I mean, it's, I, I like aspects of it. I like aspects of the show. There are things I wish I liked more. It just bugs me that really the only reason I'm continuing to watch it right now is for me not when. She, she's a big draw, but I have to admit, I, I'm curious where the story goes. I'm not on the edge of my chair wait until you see this week's episode <laughs> oh okay yeah i i hopped off of twitter real fast when i saw that it was trending and all i saw was like the, the first tweet five open mouth drop jawed emojis in a row I'm like, oh okay hmm. sounds like there's spoiler territory ahead i think i'll turn back that was no that was that was very smart that you got off of the twitter sphere because yeah i know that it's it's, it's bouncing all over the place and it's good that you go in for the, to this episode blind so yeah i've said i will be very very interested in what you think of the show after this episode well we shall see <laughs> now jumping to a very 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 different show all i'm gonna say is to set it up it has the greatest opening credits ever on a television show i'm not wrong and come on am i wrong no no and it's and and it features the most awkward dancing since that season of dancing with the stars with uh tucker carlson on it but I don't care because it is a beautiful thing. Of course, we are talking about Peacemaker, the 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 Suicide Squad, the the Suicide Squad spinoff, featuring uh, John Cena, Robert Patrick, um, a wonderful Freddie Stroma. Which did you hear? Have you heard the Vigilante story? No. They shot five episodes with a different actor. What? Yeah, they shot five of the episodes with a completely different actor playing um, Vigilante. And by the episode five, apparently both James Gunn and the actor agreed they just weren't doing it. Oh. 
and one of the other um, actors in the film, I believe, or he called somebody who'd worked with Freddie Strom. Apparently, James Gunn does an asshole check with new actors, as oh, he calls that? it. He called up somebody and said, you work with this guy. Is he an asshole? Hmm. And she said, no. So they brought Freddie Strom in, and all of the all of the Jelani shots were completely reshot. All of them? Even the costume stuff? Yes, Oh, interesting. Freddie Stroma is doing a lot of that is Freddie Stroma himself. Not all of it, but he is doing a lot of it himself. Yeah, you never know in scenes like that. It's funny because I was just wondering after the last episode where Vigilante really came to the fore and mm-hmm. people really, 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 really loved him. I'm thinking, okay, well, he was in Bridgerton and he, he's he's been around, but he was in Game of Thrones. But uh, like, how did he, how did this English actor... You know, who basically I think is best known in this country for playing kind of an asshole, a small asshole part in the Harry Potter movies. I thought, well, that's incredibly random. Do we have to? Is there some? Is there some law now that we have to get a minimum percentage of our actors from the UK? Because it seems like they're all over the place, and they're it's 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 just it's an invasion. I mean, people are complaining about about families coming across the southern border. What about stopping the flood of Australians and Britons who are taking over our, our film and TV industry? What about that? Just just get the, get the Republicans on that. No, no, let's not. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. So I thought, how did they get Freddie? Str- how did this guy get this part? Because he is so brilliant in it. I can just imagine the thrill in the editing suite if if they had to trash all the other footage and then this guy comes in and gives this kind of performance i mean it's just it's funny it's it's heartbreaking he's both in the, the same scene, episode the scene in jail when you know when he beats the shit out of the racist that entire sequence when he sits down i mean that is such an amazing scene yeah. and yeah i'm just going to say yeah unlike unlike the book of boba fett um i was instantly drawn into this show and yes i admit it watching the first episode when that dance sequence popped up i'm like okay i don't care how the re- much the rest of the show sucks i love this for that opening yeah the, the the opening was was a delight and i remember james gunn said well he wanted to to craft an opening credit sequence that people would not fast forward through because you know you always get the skip skip recap skip intro yeah. and i haven't hit the skip intro button yet he's right nope. <laughs> i still watch it because I just love the end when he he hoists Judo Master on his shoulder, like and you know, like like, what a, like it's one of Jerry's kids, and then yeah, then eagerly takes center stage. I went in actively disliking Peacemaker as a character, understood? Because uh, I mean, he 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 earned his opprobrium by being legitimately slimy and backstabbing in uh, Suicide Squad. I I really enjoyed his performance in Suicide Squad, but you wind up hating the character. So I thought, well, what a weird choice. But I, everything James Gunn does, you think, well, that's a weird choice. But okay. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it works. So I was willing to give it a chance. But yes, the opening credits had me like you. And just from the, from the first episode, the show had me. Again, you're absolutely right. It's completely different from Boba Fett. Not only was there no nostalgia for the character, there was anti-nostalgia on my part. This show really had to work to make me give a crap about what happens to him. My feeling was if it, and, and I wouldn't put this past James Gunn, they did this big dance number for the opening credits, and the scene opens up, and 
it's it's him in the hospital bed and someone comes in and puts a gun to his head and blows his brains out and then it fades to black the end psych i go okay that's fine i would have been fine with that too uh would have been less of an investment in time but now i just i live for thursdays because i just love what they're doing i mean you mentioned the scene and people could not shut up about it on twitter where he goes in sits down with the the uh the trainee racists who are clustered around uh, Peacemaker's dad, the white dragon, super racist, and just basically calls them, you know, sister fucking hillbillies and beats the shit out of them. And it was incredibly awesome. And then he goes out to the car where Harcourt picks him up and he's just like this vulnerable little boy who knows he's screwed up. You know, he's like on the verge of tears, tells her his name when he's been all about keeping his identity a secret and just says, I think I made things worse. And it's like, you just wanted to give him a hug. And I thought, why would I want to give this guy a hug? He's, he's literally went in there to murder someone's dad. And then I saw that uh, James Gunn said, yeah, we wanted him to be the lovable psychopath. <laughs> we're like, I didn't even know that was a that was a role that needed filling. But now I think I want every show from now on going forward, everything I watch, sitcom, drama, whatever, to have a lovable psychopath. <laughs> Another thing that I was kind of very surprised by in the um, first episode was the reveal of Amanda Waller's daughter. Well, yeah. I mean, you knew she had to be there for some weird reason because she's she wasn't this sort of nervy, edgy, burned out, badass type, which certainly Harcourt is being depicted as. The guy who runs it seems like he would kill you if you stepped out of line. Uh, Steve yes. Agee, Steve Agee, obviously not. He's he's the comic relief, but she was bringing something very different, obviously. So I, I was waiting for her secret reveal. I still feel like she has not been explained to us. There's there's more to what's going on there. But then. oh, I am I am pretty sure. But yeah, when they showed that scene with Waller, I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But then in the last episode, the way she casually was like, hey, Vigilante, you know, you don't have to kill Peacemaker's dad, but yeah. I mean, that was very Waller. She's definitely, I was like, okay, she she is her mother's daughter. Mm-hmm. So I am interested to see. I mean, that's, that's I like, I like all of these characters. Me too. And I like the way they're bouncing um, off each other. Yes, yes, yes. The dialogue. And I, I believe James Gunn wrote the entire series. Yes, he did. He didn't direct everything, but he wrote everything. Mm-hmm. Wrote and produced. Which, so I. Oh, right, 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 right. But I mean, it's just, yeah, everything about this show, it just, it just, it makes me happy. Great soundtrack again. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a given with the James Gunn joint. You know, I, I, I never thought that I would be intrigued or even find, you know, an emotional scene with uh, John Cena dancing sadly in his underwear, but they pulled it off. This series has taken some interesting creative risks. That could have been indulgent. That could have been really actually actively annoying but it was heartbreaking especially given what was happening what was going on in the crosscuts to uh, vigilante so it was um it's a show that you think is just going to play at this sort of level of looney tunes violence everything just is going to build to to some gloriously hilariously over-the-top mayhem and that's sort of it it's going to be this heightened reality but all of a sudden people are having emotions and you're feeling things for them and they are becoming recognizably human before your eyes it's a very sneaky thing he's doing james gunn and i applaud that i i love nothing more than making up my mind about somebody especially dismissively uh, asshole fine all right next and then 
sometimes they wind up your favorite character. And you go, how did they do that? There's some chicanery here. There's some sleight of hand. Unlike the book of Boba Fett, sadly, I am genuinely interested in this story. I cannot wait to see where it goes. Yes. Especially with the reveal from the last episode, now that we know that the boss man is also a butterfly. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, which kind of doesn't make sense to me, but I'm, I'm hoping they will make it make sense. And it's not just there because we're at the point in the story where they need another cliffhanger. I doubt they're gonna, this version of Vigilante is going to appear anywhere else going forward because he's so different from the, the inspiration character. But I love that because actually the original Vigilante kind of bored the crap out of me. And I think I was not the only one because if I'm not mistaken, and this is from memory, he's the only DC hero, possibly the only comic book superhero who basically got to like 50 issues in his series. It wasn't selling well. And he blew his brains out. That was different kind of remains different really and it seemed like dc was fine with that because they never revived the character they didn't bring him back from the dead just let him stay in potter's field with a bullet in his brain case and then he comes back as this lovable scamp of a psychopath very different from the adrian chase in the comic books but uh i would say a brilliant reimagining and the character should be nothing but this from now on well, I, I have a feeling if they do, uh, if they do use him, I think Freddie Stroma at least has a job, at least for at least one more project, if, if they, unless they kill him in this one. Marvel is bringing back, you know, Spider-Man from movies that were made 20 years ago by different studios. And, and I do think it's funny that now, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is technically the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Exactly. Although I kind of always thought of it that way. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So I feel bad when when they really do well. And, and hit the bullseye over at DC because I'm going, oh, they're going to just let this drop. They're going to piss this down their legs. There, there's no job security if you're working for the DCEU, at least at least if you're working. Especially James Gunn, since he likes killing people. He, he does enjoy killing people. Although, you know, so did Joss Whedon. He was famous for yeah, that. Speaking of which, speaking of which, did you read the interview? You know, I didn't want to, but I did. And uh, uh, what, what, were you, what did you think? I thought I have to ask. So I, I sat down and I thought, OK, Joss, I've liked a lot of your stuff, but you've got a challenge here. I assume you thought about this interview and you gamed it out before you sat down with the writer. So let's see you write your way out of this problem. And he didn't at all. <laughs> he actually kind of made it worse. By, by, uh, by talking. Well, I mean, there, there's at this point, all you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of the court of public opinion and beg for another chance. Say, yes, I was an asshole. I'm looking at my behavior now. I can't understand how it could have been like that. And my wife left me. That was a huge wake up call. I look in the mirror every day and go, stop being an asshole. No, there was none of that. No, no self-reflection. It was all just defensive and snarky and made some remarks that 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 started new controversies and will continue to haunt him so that didn't do what he needed it to do uh and you know what i i had i don't want to say i had mixed feelings i was okay with that i kind of don't want him to come back i hate seeing anybody lose their career but on the other hand it's tough being on a movie set especially if the director is a huge asshole I mean, everybody has their asshole moments. It's very stressful on, yes. on movie shoots, as you know. People are always tired. They're working their asses off. There's never enough money and time. 
And egos are also in play. So it's a big juggling act. And you, you really need someone, either a producer who can tell the director to cool his jets or a director who's an accomplished juggler. I just want to get past the writing crop kind of auteur school where people can be assholes as long as they make movies that make money. I don't know if you saw them or not, but since the interview, um, my occasional online buddy, Javier Grillo Marks Watch, has been posting some stuff about show running. And so there's just been amazing his thoughts on the interview. While not actually calling out the interview, you know he's responding to the interview. Mm-hmm. has just been phenomenal. He's a terrific resource for aspiring writers. I, I've read his, they're almost like video game walkthroughs, but for being a showrunner. Yep. And they're incredibly detailed and very helpful. And you think, well, he's he's just going to tell you things that in retrospect will seem obvious. But no, he tells you stuff that's a, a, a lot of which requires not just experience, but a certain amount of psychological insight, which is why it's a good reason to have a writer provide this sort of service. Something you definitely wouldn't want to get from a director or producer because their priorities are always very different. As I said, I don't like people being declared persona non grata unless it's for something criminal or legitimately cruel. And even if someone isn't guilty of sexual harassment or financial chicanery or whatever, they can still be terrible, terrible people to have to work with. And I was kind of hoping he had gone to the mountaintop, not even because I want to see another film or TV series from Joss Whedon. I just like when people find redemption. I like it. I like it in my art and I like it in life. And uh, it's always interesting when whoever's running the Joss Whedon show, uh, whoever that showrunner is, they have the courage to keep their main character unlikable and true to their flaws. I, I like it when people overcome their flaws and achieve redemption or some sort of epiphany about themselves. But it's much more true to life when they acknowledge they need to change, but they just can't. There's a great moment in Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey into Night where it's the father and the two sons sitting around the table and there's all these recriminations and the morphine-addicted mother is kind of dragging the whole family down. But the, the sons blame the father. They've grown up hearing her blame the father that he wouldn't he wouldn't let her go to the hospital. It was too expensive. They got some quack doctor who just hooked her on horse and that was the end of their life. And he, while not accepting blames, he says, fine, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to be cheap. So he's like, turns on every light. Says, we'll just burn the lights. We won't worry about expenses. We won't count every penny. And then they sit there and then he goes, you know, the light's hurting my eyes a little bit. Let me just turn this one off. And is that hurting your eyes? One dim bulb, which is all he ever allowed. I mean, that that's a great moment because you think, oh, is he really changing? And then you realize, no, he's mad. He's just mad at them for blaming him. And then it's like, and he can't, he can't even sustain it just to make a point because he's too much of an ingrained cheapsteaks. Cheapsteak. Cheapsteak. I've steak before. Cheapsteak. Did I, I really did say cheapsteak. Oh. <laughs> he's, well, okay. After that interview, he is definitely a cheap piece of meat. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I went to that going, all right, come on, dude, let's 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 talk your way out of this. And I had to start laughing. I mean, I know I shouldn't. I should have been horrified, but just it just made me laugh. I'm like, nope, this is not going the way anybody wants at all. No, I mean, it's, I, I was half expecting the writer to sort of lie in wait and ambush him when he would start the sitting on Oprah's couch 
that whole, I'm about to explain myself kind of moment. But no, it seemed like the writer was giving him every opportunity to not be an asshole. And he just didn't notice. It was very, very, very disturbing. That's all I gotta say. And one last thing before we um, take off for a little bit, we um, I want to mention a movie that we that I watched completely by accident one day, and I do found out that you saw it as well. My buddy and I were looking for something to watch, and we settled on um, Gunpowder Milkshake on uh, Netflix, right? Yes, on Netflix, it stars uh, Karen Gillian, Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh. So, I mean, it had Michelle Yeoh, so I had to watch it. Me too. I just, and For that reason alone, I, I, I had to watch it. And it's sort of, the best way to describe it is kind of a female John Wick. It's very much a female John Wick. I mean, you know, they've got the weird agency and there's favors and stuff. And I got to tell you... May not be a great film, but it is a fuck ton of fun. You know, it's exactly the kind of film that should be on Netflix. I mean, there, there's a lot of movies that end up there. Go, why are they dumping this here? And some, you know, exactly where they're dumping them here. This was right in the sweet spot for me. It's like, okay, I wouldn't have gone to a theater to see this. I mean, I like yeah. everyone in it, but I just it would not have attracted me to go to a theater, especially nowadays. But it was perfect for Netflix. The scale was right. The star power was perfect. And the story moved along because one thing Netflix has trained its viewers to be is impatient. <laughs> the whole binging thing. So they they really got to keep their branded movies going. And it did. It, it you know, but it, it, it slowed down for some character development and some, you know, it was, it was a group of women. So they were they played some of the emotional beats. Not a lot of them didn't go overboard with it, but they distinguished it from, say, what the movie would have been had it been a, a male star and a little boy. I'm watching about half hour and I'm going, okay, this is John Wick meets Gloria. And I'm kind of okay with that. John Wick meets Gloria. Yes. Yes. That's really what it is. And I was totally okay with that. But like I said on Twitter, the only thing they needed was more Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. M most anything with Michelle Yeoh needs more Michelle Yeoh. I mean, I, I kind of felt Wait. that way about um, Shang-Chi too. Which reminds me, have you seen the trailer for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? Yes, and I'm dying to see that. I'm yes. dying to see oh, that movie. Oh. Made from the guys who made Swiss Army Man. I am so excited. Someone described it perfectly on Twitter, I thought. They said, okay, it's the Chosen One narrative, but hear me out. It's a middle-aged Asian lady who's very tired and has no fucks left to give. And I immediately thought, yes. Please, I would like that right now. Bring it on. And the fact that we got, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis is in it as well, briefly. I mean, this everything about that movie, I know so many people, people are, either, that's going to be one that people either love or they hate. There's yeah. going to be no middle ground on that film. It's either going to be, you're either all on board or you're going to despise it. And I cannot wait to find out which side I'm on. If it's theater only, I will go see it in a cinema. No, oh, ab absolutely. That that will be a that will be a day it opens. I will go see this puppy in the cinema. And I actually want a fucking gunpowder milkshake sequel. I want that. Oh, me too. Me too. I um, did I read that one's coming? I think I did. Oh, okay. If or they're th actually doing it, that makes me happy. Yeah, I, or that there's talk of one. I mean, that there's always talk, but you know, for a mid-budgeted action picture with a fair amount of star power that winds up on Netflix. I assume that was a one and done. It would there never be a sequel, but, but they're talking about it. So I would. Well, they set it up at the end. I mean, there's mm -hmm. definitely a setup for us. Oh, like, absolutely. Hey, you know what I mean? John Wick's in four films. So why the hell not with this one? 
And I see that Karen Gillian, you know, has gone beyond both the Doctor and a Nebula. <laughs> and uh, the Jumanji films. Oh, God, that's right. I forgot she was in she's that. Really, so she's really, really good in that. She's playing a, a, a very nerdy girl in mm-hmm. uh, an ass-kicking Avatar body. But the nerd keeps coming through. And it's it's a terrific, very funny performance. Indeed, indeed. And we are going to call it there for the time we've done our hour. Where I do like keeping things short for all of you bite-sized Netflix binging individuals. <laughs> um, we have got a UMC coming up for you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. It's coming soon. It'll be relatively quickly because, I mean, we, we've already set this up. Um, we've got a movie. Um, I'm going to let Scott has got some research to do. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> sure he's already done the research. I'm refamiliarizing myself. Let, let's just say this. The film we're going to watch and discuss is based on a true story, but where the story went after the film wrapped is the real story. So (laughs) we'll talk about the film, but we'll talk about what happened after the film. When I found out about this movie, I, as I said to Scott, we have to talk about this. This was made for us. (laughs) Sadly. Yes. All right. And we, we're not going to tell you what it is yet. You're just going to have to wait and find out. You may find out about it on Twitter. You may find out about it on Facebook. You may find out about it in a dream. I don't know, and I don't care. Until later. Later. Might find out about it in a dream? (laughs) I would advise that person to stop eating chicken vindaloo before bed. Hey.